Welcome to another episode of the Trees and Lines podcast. Today we're talking with Amanda Opp, the right-of-way supervisor for Flathead Electric Cooperative. Amanda talks with us today about her experience as a graduate and now facilitator of the Utility Vegetation Management Professional Development Program, as well as the challenges they have been facing as a co-op in the industry. Have a listen and hope you enjoy. Welcome, Amanda. We're excited to have you join us today. Um, Thank you for yeah. having me. This is so, exciting. <laughs> good. Well, glad you want to be here. Uh, why don't we start by just getting a little bit of background, get to know you. Tell us uh, a little bit about what you've done, where you are, and what you're doing today. Gosh, I am not sure how long and in-depth to go here. So I, I'll, I'll start out by saying... Um, my background is civil engineering, so I am an engineer, and I came to um, the utility arborist into the industry um, through GIS. Actually, I worked um, in GIS with my utility for four years, and I took our paper workflows and made them digital. So then I was asked if I wanted to do that with um, the vegetation management department because they were using paper workflows still and um, did that and kind of found a home with the tree people here and uh, I, it's such a great team I the background I work for a cooperative and so we um, work on tight budgets and kind of our business model is a little different than investor owned and we're still trying to find some um, forward motion in our program uh, with keeping our members happy, which can be challenging. It's kind of has a little duality to it. Um, but yeah, we have six tree crews here at Flathead Electric, two in-house for contract crews and uh, two utility foresters. So, And you're located right in the heart of Montana, right? Right in the heart of Montana. Glacier Park's in our backyard. So we have some very diverse issues here. So... Before we get Tej uh, questioning you here, yeah. <laughs> uh, let me just I'm say not, congratulations. I see you're a new member of the board at the Utility Arborist Association. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, that's, that's exciting. Oh, that's congratulations. A big deal. I, I am so excited to join that group and learn everything I can and help in every way I can. So, Amanda, are you um, – so, so you said GIS is your back. By the way, I'm, I'm an engineer as well. Um, but not a not a practicing one. Just I just have the degree. I have to always caveat that. So, yep, same. Uh, just, so nobody <laughs> asks me any questions, and I don't feel like anyway. Um, so uh, so GIS is your is your kind of like bread and butter, and is that sort of in your in every one of your roles has that been the primary angle and and sort of lens that you uh, approach a lot of this industry and the work with? Absolutely. I, I feel like there's so much capability within our GIS. And when you really know the meat and potatoes of GIS software, we, we use Esri, which is probably the major player in the game. Um, when you know how to use that software, you can do things that you never imagined with it. And so we administer all of our own um, vegetation management through our GIS and have created it from scratch and sort of a ground up effort. And that's just the cooperative way and in an effort to save money from <laughs> expenses. We we've built that. And so we track everything through that um, and get all our metrics through that. So, you know, it's um, 
I won't get into it here on today's podcast, um, but Phil, myself, and a couple of our other leaders are in the midst of working on uh, a potential solution for the uh, the co-op and the municipal market. Um, basically, a product. I'll just very top line talk about a product that we're trying to design. Because one thing we found in our conversations around the utility industry as a whole, that, you know, there's a lot of attention and resources uh, that go to the big players, right, in every state. And I was really blown away with how many municipalities and co-ops there are in the country. I mean, there's a ton. And I think the challenge that, at least from our perspective and from my perspective, is that the challenge that you guys have is always a, a function of, you know, available resources, cost-effective solutions, um, managing to a different sort of uh, audience that you have to, you know, from a regulatory perspective. So I realized like that, that combination can be so challenging for you guys to solve what you need to solve for and in the constraints that you have. So um, it's drawn our attention a little bit because we just think that, um, A, it's an interesting problem to solve. And uh, there's a there's a lot to solve because of there's so many little entities out there, um, but that are controlling major parts of the transmission infrastructure. So, um, yeah, we'll ha- we'll definitely have to chat about that more offline. I'd love to love that. Kick, yeah, like 900 co-ops. In. That's not even you know mun- you know your munis. So yeah, probably exactly. three times as many munis. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> are you are you from Montana? Like kind of originally yeah. born and raised. Fifth generation Montanan. Yeah. What? Yeah. You know, this is going to sound so cliche, but like the first thing that came to my mind was Yellowstone. <laughs> You're not the only one. Everybody's yeah. like, have you seen like, that show? Yeah, have you seen the show? <laughs> it's such. Is Montana it's, like that? And I'm yeah. like, uh, well, I don't think I don't know anybody who's killed anyone. So, no. <laughs> right. You're like, <laughs> like, it's not like that, but it's not like that. And, yeah. But um, ranching, wow, it sure. does give that great perspective about what ranching is like and how tough it can be. So, I mean, there's a little, it's dramatized, obviously. <laughs> why, did, why did you, um, now have you been with um, the the co-op that you're with, have, have you been there your entire career? For the majority of it, I've been with the cooperative for almost 12 years. And uh, I started out actually as a part-time cashier, which is kind of a fun story to tell people. Yeah, please tell us. Um, I, when I finished in engineering, I did a little consulting. When I finished my degree, I did some consulting and um, worked for an environmental consultant and did platting and all of that and kind of faced these challenges in that where I felt like maybe I wasn't good enough to do engineering and just so much doubt kind of creeps in your mind as a new graduate. It's hard to get that confidence. And so I went to the local bank and decided I'm going to be a vault teller and, or I'm going to be a teller for a while. It feels like something I'm totally going to be good at. Let's go. And I did that for four years. And then when a job opened at the utility, I was sort of a good fit for a cashier because I spent a lot of time um, handling money. And so I worked as a part-time cashier for the first two years while I was at the utility. And so I've kind of started at the ground level and moved up Wow! through the utility. Yeah. Wow, that's impressive. So when you moved into veg management, you did something I think is unique. Uh, you were one of the first graduates of the uh, Utility Veg Management Professional Development Program, and what and you're one of the very few that are recognized as a certified 
Help me with the title, Utility Vegetation Certified Utility Vegetation Manager. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, so that's that's pretty neat. Uh, As an engineer, you decided to go and get the training. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about why you did it and what you think of the program. Because there's others out there that might be considering it. That's that's awesome. Yeah. I when I started obviously in the vegetation management department, I knew really nothing about what I was about to get myself into. And I um picked up the utility arborist newsline and I saw this advertisement for the utility vegetation management certificate and through at that time it was through Southern Alberta. And um, as I got into the the first course, I realized, you know, we this is the first actual class. You know, they had had a, a test group, I think, that went through and graduated a group of six or so or more. Um, and then our class, I think we started around 30 of us that went through that first flagship class at Southern Alberta. And it was probably the best decision that I, I ever made. And sometimes those are just accidental, like you just fall into the best training. And I had 29 mentors like just built into the class who were telling me, well, this is how you do it. And it's so nice coming in just as with a clean slate with that group of people and getting to chat with them about what they do at their bigger utilities, what they do as contractors, what they what they do, um, just their best practices and what they've developed. I went I went to school with Canadian students, and I went to school with um, folks that that work for Salt River Project, and they they honestly were my best teachers, and I wouldn't be where I'm at in my program without. Um, those courses and those connections. How much? Very how, good. How much is the thought leadership like with you know agencies? You're in Montana. How much have you pulled uh, kind of intellectual understanding and what other programs are doing and incorporated into like what you guys are up to? Oh, I would say I've acquired a lot. It's just little nuggets here and there. And you just, you sort of take whatever they're using and morph it into what works for you. You'll hear an idea and and you expand on it, you know, um, you'll hear how they monitor their, their crews or how they audit their crews and why that's important. Um, why that's an important component of the program, um, how they run contracts and, why it's important to do it a certain way versus another based on, you know, your t- utility and learning about who stakeholders are and how really to engage them. So the overview of really the whole entire certificate is program management and how that applies to utility vegetation management. And it really gave me the building blocks of understanding and um, speaking to my managers and my board members about the program and how to best move it forward. That's an interesting thing because, you know, managing up is as important as managing uh, into the field. Absolutely. And when I came on board, we were really on kind of a reactive maintenance cycle. Um, It wasn't anything that was planned out. And so that was in 2017. And we've started cycle maintenance. We've started to look at targeted approaches and all the different methodology for managing a vegetation management program. And, it, you know, the the ways to do it are 
as wide and as many as there are utilities. And so it's, it's been a great experience for me. And then coming into facilitating, um, which I'm facilitating now with the University of Wisconsin Stevens Point, some of those courses, primarily the integrative vegetation management portion of that. Every time I go through a course with students, I learn something new that I didn't learn the first time, which they might not know. <laughs> They're teaching me as well. And um particularly some of the the students that are from California and they're just regulated different. And so I've been able to just learn kind of nationwide and in North America, the differences in vegetation management based on region. Yeah, you, you, you nailed that one. Um, you know, just as we move from West to East, the, the problem sets are so different. The topography is so different. The, the, regulatory oversight is so different like it's even for us as we've built a company that's servicing such a wide variety of clients you know everything has to be somewhat curated because it's you know you could have two neighboring states with totally different objectives goals risks all that sort of thing so that's really interesting to hear from your perspective just even in the education environment um so i'm curious amanda do you have both transmission and distribution I just have um, actual transmission. So we're at uh, 69 kVA and below. And um, so Bonneville is our supplier and they are sitting at the 230. So they're, our, they're the FERC regulated. But what's really nice is just within that, that coursework is learning the differences between that and um, learning what we have to do and what the future could look like for what we have to do. Because right now as a distribution co-op, it's different than, you know, any kind of transmission that's regulated by FERC. So that may change. I don't know what the industry will look like with wildfire and storms in environmental changes. So just getting a chance to learn that and learning where they're at compared to where we're at is high value. May I assume you've built a wildfire mitigation plan? Yes. Yes. We uh, completed that just a little over a year ago. We're about to go into our first review and look at ways that we're going to um, kind of make it more less of a document and more of an actionable plan. Because I think maybe the natural place that you fall into with a wild, wildfire mitigation plan is that you have to do it for insurance or for some other reason the state requires it. And then you get into it where you're like, okay, well, how do we actually use the plan? And we wrote this because we were doing everything. Now, what are some goals we can do that right. actually make a wildfire mitigation plan better? And, um, Move it out of the classroom into the field. <laughs> totally. In terms of the size of your co-op, could you compare it in terms of where it is relative to other co-op peers, small utilities? Like, what's the scale, distribution miles, that kind of thing for for our audience? Can you contextualize that? Yeah, from a co-op perspective, we are considered a, a large co-op. Um, we, I would think, <laughs> we have 73,000 meters, 5,000 square miles of service territory. Um, we maintain about 1,700 miles of overhead line, which is is a lot. 
and it's a lot for <laughs> this kind of program. I think we came out to like 14 meters per mile, which is actually pretty dense for a co-op too. So, Yeah, I'm surprised. In I mean, I think of Montana as big open spaces. Nobody's out there. Yeah. But obviously I'm wrong. <laughs> we're all in the same place. You know, there's yeah. there's not many of us. <laughs> we're, all, we're all together. <laughs> in one city. Yeah. <laughs> so what were the challenges? Of, I'm curious about the wildfire mitigation plans for smaller co-ops. I mean, it has to be a challenge to put together. Great. That's a great question. You know, I think for me, the biggest challenge was making sure that um, – what we were putting in the plan were things that we were actually doing and um, were able to do if we weren't. And after a year, we I looked at it and I could see that there were things where we really need to um, probably stand up a team that makes sure we, we do all these things and the right people are in the right seats on the bus. And I think there was a bit of fear going into it because you don't want to be that person who creates a wildfire mitigation plan and then doesn't execute it, right? So, um, yeah, it's great to have one. You, you probably want that for your insurance, but are you working the plan? Yeah, those documents can be, I've seen, obviously, with some of the bigger utilities, like your eyes glaze over because the document's just like huge. So you bring, you bring up an interesting point of, you know, how to make it something that's like living versus just like dormant and you know, you need to do it kind of deal. So um, in your in your time at the co-op, can you maybe describe for us like, and, and this will help us also understand like Montana as a region, what's the most complex thing you've had to face, you know, as a small utility uh, kind of during your time there? Well, starting out by myself, I, the the program started out very small. It was me as a supervisor and we had one in-house tree crew and two part-time contract tree crews. And so it was way under, um, under resourced for the work that needed to be done. And I had found that to be very challenging. And another part of it is we live in an area that's natural beauty. People escape here. It's, something people, you know, have a certain viewpoint on, I would say, with it being Glacier Park and just so much natural beauty here and finding the balance between doing what we need to do and what the members, our members and the public expect to see and how to be good stewards of that and really just prove, you know, that we really care about the resources and that we want to network with all the agencies out there. And it can be so much to spread for one person. It's spread, you get, you end up spreading yourself very thin, trying to get to know the folks at the forest service and DNRC and um, building relationships with them because we, there's a big fear factor. Probably if I can speak for a lot of cooperatives in, um, the liability that's involved if our facilities are um, the ignition source for a fire. And so it's probably the biggest challenge. And that was sort of a lot of challenges. No, <laughs> the biggest no, challenge is we have a lot of challenges. No, not at all. Like I kind of, <laughs> yeah. what I, what I took away from what you said was the, um, yeah, just balancing, you know, a variety of stakeholders and knowing that, uh, the liability is there and helping folks understand that while still managing to the 
aesthetic of beautiful, you know, green and forested areas. Um, you know, as a homeowner, I have a funny story. Like, uh, so I'm Canadian and uh, born and raised in the, the Toronto, greater Toronto area. And I remember one time, I didn't know what was going on, but I had a beautiful tree and, and they marked it and they cut it. And, and like somebody came by one day and they cut it. And I didn't know, so I didn't even know that it was marked or I guess it was encroaching or, or something. And so I was like, at the time I was visibly upset. This is before I actually had any understanding of this, this industry. And now I'm like, oh, I get it now, <laughs> right? Like I, I understand, I was like, you know, there's this balance of making sure that, you know, you're, you're protecting the infrastructure. But at the same time, people love, you know, they love their trees. California is a great example. You know, yeah. Also, so it's, it's tricky. It's, it's sort of interesting because um, the wildfires in California have really um, been, I, I don't want to say like a blessing for us, but in a way they've, they've, ha- they've held benefit for small utilities east of them because we really see um, what they're dealing with and, and can learn without going through those pain points and it's benefited us in a way that um, I, I am very grateful for just being able to see, you know, what what's being done um, after the reaction to that, because we can do that as a preventative measure before it we're even forced to, because in a way we will probably be regulated to do things that they're doing eventually. And, to just have a little bit of a crystal ball, if you will, on what we need to do in that arena is it's been a, a big benefit. Uh, I think you're, I think you're spot on. I think, um, I, frankly, I don't think a lot of people knew about utility vegetation management until this all sort of, you know, what was happening in California. And I really feel for all the utilities and, and the, you know, the residents and it's, it's complex. It's, it's such a, big bear of a problem to deal with and um i think everyone's doing the best that they can to figure it out but it it brought a huge spotlight uh from you know for everybody right whether and it helped not just from a wildfire perspective but i think from an event perspective like whether it's a hurricane a storm a fire you know all of a sudden grid reliability became that much more in focus and you know we can see the expectations of PUCs and, you know, vegetation management budgets from west to east have started to expand because I think there's a better understanding and a desire to, like you said, to be preventative. So, um, yeah, we, I think I think the data and the actions that are following what happened out west is very consistent with what you're saying. Yeah. And it's I think even, you know, it's it's countrywide, you know, nationwide, we're we're seeing a reaction in Washington and seeing infrastructure um, funding coming and grid resilience funding coming. And we, we hope to take advantage of that. And I know other utilities and cooperatives are too. And so I, I see a lot of attention on it and um, just sort of public education about all of that. And it's good for the industry. It's good for all of us pushing these plans forward. What do you uh, what do you hope to sort of um, first of all again congratulations on your UA appointment um, but in terms of your involvement like what what sort of uh, impact or mark are you looking to to make with with that great organization obviously Phil was a former uh, 
president of that and le- led that initiative very, very well under his tenure. So what, what are some of your goals with that organization? You know, I've been pretty involved with UAA. Um, I, I really am involved with the Women in Utility Vegetation Management, and I'll continue to do that. It's really near and dear to my heart. And uh, recently started working with the member engagement um, portion of the Utility Arborist Association with the focus on cooperatives and I, I truly hope to engage uh, cooperatives within the organization and bring them into the fold because I've seen so many benefits being a member of that organization. I've had people who support me and support the program that I'm working on and just to feel that overwhelming um, support. It can feel really lonely, you know, like what you're doing and people who you see and you see the light in their eyes, they light up and understand what you're doing is... Um, it's been it's been a great organization for me to be a part of, and so to be able to give back and uh, put my heart into it in a way that uh, could move it forward for the future generations is just an exciting prospect for me. I congratulate you're giving back. You're a, I think you said you're a proctor of those facilitator. I don't remember what the title was. Facilitator. Facilitator. I should have known that. And you're working with the UAA. One of the things can, we try to look for the uh, industry leaders to have as guests, and that is a consistent thing. They're all given back in some fashion. Yeah, and, for sure. Uh, I yeah, guess that's... a true sign of leadership. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I hope to continue on with um, education as part of something within the UAA as well. And I think my official assignment will be um, the champion for the safety committee, which is very well established. And so I could see myself having to get up to speed with all of that talent. And so I'm excited to work with all of them as well. Oh, that's Good. great. Well, we'll, we'll end up, uh, I'm sure seeing each other, uh, I believe Pittsburgh this year. So, yes. um, that'll be really, really exciting. Um, well, before we kind of, uh, wrap up here, um, you know, I definitely wanted to thank you for making time uh, to chat with us today. Um, and as we sort of, I'd love to have you on again, as we sort of, uh, present some of our kind of municipal co-op focused solutions so we can kind of just have a broad conversation and you can kind of rip us apart. On terms of, <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> yeah. Um, to rip we'll us apart. I'm not a I'm more of a feedbacker. <laughs> feedba- yeah. A feedbacker. Um, yeah. no, I, I, I think it's, um, I'm so fascinated by just, again, you know, once, once I learned as I'm, I'm like you, I'm, I'm new, I'm, I'm not new like you, but just, I'm so new to this overall space from the last few years that, um, just coming across so many interesting things and I'm very fascinated by the municipal co-op, uh, segment of the market. So I, you and I will have lots to chat about offline and hopefully in Pittsburgh I have well, a so. huge love for co-ops and so yeah. I would be happy to share any of that. Yeah, no, it's yeah. great. We I look forward to getting your 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 feedback. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, your feedback. So, uh, but Amanda, thanks for making time today. This was uh, a lovely chat and uh, Thank you, you know, for having to, me. Of course, yeah, we appreciate to continue it. Yeah, absolutely. I've been watching every episode and I've oh, seen no. Oh, oh no. no, they're fantastic. Uh, oh, I, no. I've seen all the heroes of um, the utility harvest um, industry yeah. on your show. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, these are big, 
shoes to fill. <laughs> no, you were you were fantastic, and I think your your perspective again is. Um, I think you might be the first guest we've had that speaks from the position of of the co op and the munis, and so we hope that we can continue to diversify our conversations and and again like include some of the smaller players and their needs and requirements as part of the broader discussion because uh we just think sometimes you know big always gets the the look and we're trying to help change that a little bit well you know the cooperative way is like all of us with our small voices equal big oh yeah aggregation is key (laughs) aggregation is key cooperation among (laughs) co-ops yeah yeah cooperation exactly (laughs) yeah well again thank you very much and uh again i look forward to seeing you and meeting you in person awesome Same, same here thank you so much thank you That's it for this episode of the Trees and Lines podcast, brought to you by Iapetus Infrastructure Services. If you like the show, please give us a rating of five stars on Apple or Spotify. If you have any questions or comments on any of our episodes or ideas for topics or guests in the future, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us at treesandlines at iapetusllc.com. We'll chat with you soon.